Hi, I'm Jason Hoy, lead pastor of Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church. I just wanted to thank you for listening to our sermons. We are located in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and our mission is to glorify the triune God by exalting Him, edifying and equipping His church, and evangelizing the world with His gospel. Visit cedarcrest.church to learn more about who we are and what we believe. While I ask the kids a question, the rest of you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. But to begin our time together, I want to ask the children if they recognize this phrase. You ready? With great power comes great responsibility. Who said that? Spider-Man. Come on, kiddos. It's my son's favorite Marvel character. Uncle Ben said that to Spider-Man. Spider-Man is one of my son's favorite heroes. And that's because he can do amazing things, right? He can swing from building to building. And he can stop a blazing, fast-moving train from going off the railroad tracks that were destroyed, right? I mean, this guy's amazing. He can defeat any dastardly villain that's on the planet. And yet, who's underneath that suit? What's his name? Peter Parker. Little skinny teenager from Brooklyn. Right? He walks around with his high tops and chews bubble gum. He looks like any normal human being. But when he puts that suit on, look out, it's Spider-Man. Now, as amazing as that is, I almost said really is, but it's not really because, children, that's fantasy. That's fake. It's fun to watch on your TV screen. But this morning, I want to tell you about somebody who is absolutely real who is infinitely stronger than Spider-Man and did the opposite of what Spider-Man did because he looked normal. He looked normal, and yet underneath that normal, he clothed his deity, his godness, with flesh and blood like one of us. Who is that, children? Jesus! Jesus Christ. That's who we're going to look at this morning from Philippians chapter 2, one of the most majestic texts in all the Bible about the person and work of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. Paul writes this, Have this mind among yourselves, he's writing to the Philippian church, which is yours in Christ Jesus, now listen carefully, who, though he was in the form of God, This is incredible. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is incredible. Brothers and sisters, And children, this is incredible. This is the most amazing thing that has ever happened in the history of this world. 
that the one who made the world, we just sang about it, the one who created everything and everyone in the world will lower himself, stoop way down to serve us, to serve and to save us. And how does he do it? He takes on the form of a servant and he takes on the form of a man. It's incredible. And he looks ordinary. He looks so normal. Which is why the people around him in the Gospels thought this way. Like the disciple Peter. He would say to Jesus, if you remember this account, after Jesus told him, Peter, put your net out for a catch of fish. And yet Peter says, Master, we fished all night long and we didn't catch a thing. Now I'm, I'm only imagining that Peter in his mind is, is saying to himself, what does this ordinary man, teacher, know about fishing? What does he know about fishing? Until he did as his master said. And he lowered the nets down into the water, it says in Luke 5. And they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And all of a sudden, in Peter's mind and heart, because the Father is revealing to him who this man really is, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O Lord, O Lord. But he looks like a simple, normal human being. Which is why the disciples were blown away again in Matthew chapter 8 when a great storm arose on the sea, it says, and they were all in the boat, and the boat was being swamped by the waves. And where is Jesus? Asleep. Asleep. But when they woke him up, it says, he rose and rebuked the winds and the waves. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of. Can you say it? Finish it? Man is this. What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He's just a man. Look at him. Look at him. He sleeps like a man. And yet the oceans obey him? Isn't this. Just the carpenter's son? That's what his hometown friends would say. The son of Joseph and Mary. Were the sisters and brothers with us? And they took offense at him. The question they should have been asking is this. Who is this really? Who is this man? It's the most important question in the universe, gang. This is not a Marvel comic book. This is not a character that somebody has made up. This is somebody that eyewitnesses saw right before their very eyes. And they wrote it down for us in the Scriptures. And there is nobody, to my knowledge, who was around in that day and wrote down, no, Jesus never existed. 
Nor did He ever do these miracles or die on a cross. Matter of fact, even the Jewish historian Josephus, who was not a believer, he was around in that day and he wrote about Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah, who was a great teacher, was killed by Pontius Pilate. Same testimony we have in the New Testament. So here's the reality, gang. This man did exist. He did exist. And this man did all of the things that the Bible says he did. And so that begs the same question that he asked his disciples at one point in time. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's the most important question ever in the universe and the most important question that you have to answer. You have to answer for yourself. How you answer this will determine your destiny. Well, this morning, the Apostle Paul, who was an anti-Christian, fanatic, turned Christian, He's going to tell us who this man really is and what he has done for us in humble obedience to God. And again, this should blow our minds. This should blow our minds because of how far God went and stooped for us. This is why we love Christmas, isn't it? Chris prayed it. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is the reason for the season. If you don't worship Jesus... I think one theologian just said, if, if you don't need a Savior, then you don't need Christmas. This text is incredible. It's called the Hymn of Christ, like we saw last week. could have been considered a hymn of Christ that they might have sang because it captures everything about Him, what makes Him tick, how He thinks, which, which is a wonderful thing to ponder because in the context of this passage the apostle paul is imploring the philippians to have the same mind have the same mind and humility that jesus does verse five and then working backwards this mindset is to serve one another in all humility considering others interests as well as your own it's verse four Why? Because that's who our Jesus is. That's who He is. That's how He thinks. I love this. One one person said this is like reading His diary. We get a glimpse in, in how He thinks and what He wants to do. And what does He do? We're going to find out in this passage. God Almighty humbles Himself to serve and to save us. Incredible humility in obedience to His Father. Especially when you remember that Jesus is God. Look at verse 6. Who, speaking about the Lord Jesus, right before He says, who, though He was in the form of God. Or your version might say He existed in the form of God. Or another version says He was in the very nature God. They're all making the same point. Here's the point. Before Jesus ever came into the world and became a human being, He has always existed in the form of God. He was always the eternally pre-existent Son of God who was there in the beginning. We went over this verse in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. 
because He was already there. And then in verse 3, it talks about Him making the whole world, echoing Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. Well, guess who was there? God the Father, God the Son. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Face to face. Toward one another for all of eternity. And the Word was God. God. In the form of God. Morphe. That's the word. It means to manifest the essence of who somebody really is. And in this case, Jesus was in the form of God before He was born in Bethlehem. So here's where my mind goes to the Old Testament before He was born in Bethlehem. And I read about one who was walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. Who do I think that is? Yeah. Jesus. The pre-incarnate Jesus. Do you know in the Old Testament that there was a man who appeared to Abraham and there was a man who wrestled with Jacob? And do you know what that man said to Jacob afterwards? You have striven with God. You want to know who that was? That was Jesus. Not fully flesh and blood. He's appearing in the form of a man. That's Jesus. Nobody's ever seen God the Father is what Jesus means when He comes and says that. But anytime you read about God appearing, and sometimes it's angel. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament met Samson's parents. Who is that? That is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ who was in the form of God. Don't believe me? How about the burning bush? Moses says to the burning bush, after the burning bush, God says to him, I'm sending you to Egypt to rescue my people. And he says, who should I tell him sent me? And what did God say? Tell him I am sent you. And then fast forward a few thousand years to the Lord Jesus standing in front of the Pharisees talking about Abraham. And He says to them, Abraham saw my day and was glad. But all they see is a human. You're not yet 50 years old. He says, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. They knew what He was claiming. They tried to kill Him. You're claiming to be God of the burning bush. This is incredible, gang. This is the point that Paul's making. Before he came to this earth and was born, he was in the form of God. Now, I don't want you to be confused by the word was or existed. Like it's just a past tense kind of a thing and now it's over when he becomes a man. Like he doesn't have this form anymore. This is what the false teachers teach, but that is not correct. That's why I love Greek. It's not in the past tense. In the original language, it means to continue on in that form that you have always had, that you previously had in existence. So it means Jesus remains the same as He always was in the form of God. And that's going to be super important as we go through this text. 
But here, Paul is just making the point that Jesus eternally existed as God before He took on humanity. He was in the form of God because He is God. And next, because He is in the form of God, He is equal with God. He's equal with God, Paul says next. Look at the text, the second half of verse 6. It says He was in the form of God, but He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now what in the world does that mean? There's a lot of controversy over this phrase, and I don't think there has to be if you read it carefully. And when you read it carefully, what do you find? First, this is beautiful. Jesus counted or considered. He was considering this. I love this. He's considering this move that he's about to make very carefully. That means he's fixing his mind to do this. That's what counting or considering means. And what was he not considering? His equality with God, Paul says next. That means he was equal with God. That's what he says. That's what it means. I don't care what the false teachers try to tell you. This means what it says. He's equal with God because he's God himself. We just heard the Apostle Paul say that. And so the next question, if Jesus is God, who is equality with God talking about? Another God? It's a good question. It's not another God. It's a reference to the Trinity. One God and three persons and three persons in one God. He's talking about His Father. He's talking about His Father. He's considering how He is equal with His Father. He's the same as His Father in every way. In power. And glory and essence as God the Son. So please don't ever let any false teacher or cult tell you that Jesus is not equal to God or equal with the Father. It says He is right here. Even though, I think this is important, Jesus will say things like this when He becomes a man. The Father is greater than I. I got into an argument with a Jehovah Witness over this one. <laughs> Let me tell you what that means. All that means is that the Father has greater authority in our relationship right now because I am a human. I descended into humanity and He sends me all of His commands and everything that He wants me to do, which is what I want to obey. But that does not mean that Jesus is inferior to the Father in His godness, in any way. In fact, in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, He prayed that the Father would glorify Him in His presence again. Again. After He dies and rises from the dead and ascends back to heaven as the God-man, He says, Give me the glory that I had with you before the world existed when I was in the form of God without a human body. Equal with God in heaven. Still am, even though He took on humanity. Gang, this is why the religious leaders of His day would stone Him for making Himself equal with God. It's John 5. After Jesus said, I do the works that My Father does. What's He claiming? He's my Father and I'm just like Him. I have the same essence. 
and he's working, and I do the same works. He's claiming to be God. That's why they wanted to stone him, for blasphemy. And so, what do we have in this moment? Jesus is not considering or counting this equality with God in some way, shape, or form that we're going to see next. That he had in heaven before he came to earth. And I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what that was like for him in glory. And we, we get a glimpse we get a glimpse of Jesus in heaven when the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Do you see it? See it? The eyes of your heart? Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, where my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you know that John the Apostle wrote about this moment in John chapter 12? When he wrote this, Isaiah said these things because he saw His glory and spoke of Him. Whose glory? Jesus' glory. That's the pre-incarnate Christ. God. It's incredible. It's incredible. And yet, He fixes His mind on doing what we're about to see next. And so what does He do? He doesn't keep a hold of His divine privileges and rights as the Son of God in heaven. And so now, oh Lord Jesus, help us to believe this and to see this as it happened 2,000 years ago. He begins His descent to come to the earth. His humiliation. They call this the humiliation of the Son of God. This is what Paul means when he says, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? Not to grasp equality with God on Jesus' part as God. And again, there's been significant controversy over what this means. And I don't think there has to be. But here's why. Because some, some would say that this means Jesus never possessed equality with God. And so now He's trying to grasp that equality for Himself. Kind of like Adam and Eve did when they wanted to be like God. Or the devil who wanted to be like God. And that is absolutely dead wrong. Dead wrong. Jesus was not grasping for anything. Like He's trying to be equal with God. He's already in the form of God and equal with God. It cannot mean that. And so what does it mean? It means that He did not... 
keep holding on to His equality with God in heaven as God Himself with all the rights and privileges of heaven that were already His to keep for His own benefit as God Himself. And the, and the question is why? Why? i tell you why. Because His mind is fixed on verse 7. It's fixed. Our Lord's mind is fixed on verse 7. Brothers and sisters, that should make us very, very thankful. Very thankful. Listen to me. Jesus Christ could have stayed. He could have stayed and rightfully done so. He could have told His Father, no way am I doing that. I am far too precious as God. I would be far too precious to take on human flesh and shed my precious blood for those rebels. I will not do it. I will not do it. And yet that's the opposite of what our Lord said to the Father. Praise Him. Praise Him. He became one of the humblest servants this world has ever seen, emptying himself of those privileges that he had as the Son of God. Look at what Paul says in the beginning of verse 7. He made himself nothing. Nothing. That blows my mind. The God of the universe who made all things made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Now again, this is where theologians got it wrong in the 1800s. Make yourself nothing. It could be translated, if you have the NASB, as emptying yourself. And so what, what do they do? They read this and they say to themselves, well, if he's emptying himself, that means he must be emptying himself of deity. That's what they said. Some would say that he became less than God when he made himself nothing. Or he gave up some of his divine attributes when he made himself nothing. Paul is not saying that. He never said that Jesus gave up being in the form of God or stopped being equal with God. I explained it earlier. That word was existed means He's always existed. He's not going to take it off. He's going to continue in the very form that He always was. It's interesting. Again, this is why the original language is very important. Paul's the only one to use this word. The only one. And this word does relate to another word. It means to empty yourself of, of the stuff that you really are. But Paul doesn't use that word. He uses another word that means to pour yourself out. But that doesn't mean that he poured his deity out. Like he left his deity behind. He got rid of it. That goes against what Paul just said. It goes against what the New Testament says everywhere. That Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God. That the fullness of God dwells bodily in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, what does it mean when it says here, He emptied Himself and made Himself nothing and poured Himself out? It simply means what Paul is going to say. He left His glory in heaven and He's going to take on the form of a servant and the form of a man. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that He left His deity behind. Does that make sense? You all hear me? You better nod your heads. Do you believe it? You better believe it. If you don't believe it, don't walk out of here until you talk to me. Hear this. This is not subtraction. This is not transforming from God to a servant, from God to a man. This is adding on to who He already is. That's incredible too. 
He added on the form of a servant. The form of a servant. That literally means a bond servant or a slave. A slave. Let that blow your mind again. This is Jesus Christ who in the form of God was there in the beginning that the Father made the world through the One who sustains the universe by the Word of His power took on the form. It's the word again, form. You see that a number of times. Form. He took on the form. He added it to His Godness. The very nature of a slave. He became a slave. Just like He was in the form of God. Totally and fully. Listen to this. He added on to His deity the full form of a servant. He did not transform from God into a slave. He added the form of a slave. Which means He took it on fully. Not partially. Not temporarily. Like putting on some kind of slave's garment for a, for a time. And then took it off. No, this means literally He became a slave and a bondservant forever. Let that blow your mind. The God of the universe became a slave and a bondservant forever. Forever. We see it firsthand when He came, but we also see it when He went back. What's he doing right now as I speak? He's serving us by praying for us. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. This blows me away too because this word, slave, literally means you will be owned by somebody else. Now, we all know that the Lord Jesus is not owned by anybody. Anybody in this world. Save his submission to the Father. When he was here. And to do his will. And what was his will? To become a servant. Servant. We see it all over the Bible. We see our Lord Jesus. What's he doing? Serving. 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 Teaching. Healing. It's incredible. Going. Serving. Serving. It's his mind. He took it on. Praise God. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. says in Matthew 20, 28. So he took on the form of a servant. And what does that form look like? What did he take on? The form of a man. End of verse 7. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Brothers and sisters, friends, children, this is what we have in the manger. This is God Almighty, Lord of heaven and earth. The maker of the very ground you walk on and the maker of every hair that's on your head whose spirit was put into the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit, we're told in the Gospel of Luke, and given a human body and a human nature. It's incredible. Combined with Jesus' divinity and that little baby lying in a manger. That's Emmanuel. It's Emmanuel. Which means God with us. Being born literally means to become and exist in this state. In what state is that? The likeness of men, Paul says. The likeness of men. Fully. Completely. This isn't just appearing. Some false teachers out there, he just, he just appeared that way. He looked like a man, but he wasn't really a man. 
The word likeness means to be made like a man in every way. This is not a clone. This is not a disguise. This is not the ghost of a man. He was made like us in every way. Hebrews 2.17 He was made like His brothers in every single way. Let this blow your mind, brothers and sisters. God was made like us us in every single way. Jesus was made like us in every single way. It's incredible. Don't try to figure out how He is fully God and fully man. Your brain will hurt. But we believe it. In the one person is fullness of deity and fully a man. This is why he can sleep in a boat during a storm because he's dog-tired. And then get woken up and just go to the wind and the waves and say, Peace be still! (laughs) Who is this? It's fully God. Fully man. It's incredible. Only Him. Only Him! ever in the history of the world claimed to be God in the flesh. And only Him healed the deaf and the blind and raised the dead and cast out demons and forgave sins that only God can do. Only Jesus because He is Emmanuel. Nobody else. Nobody else. Just Jesus. And so we see Him Celebrated Christmas, now born as a little baby in a manger, grows up as a toddler. Would you like to have him as a toddler, parents? <laughs> you never had to spank him, probably. <laughs> Teenager, fully grown as a human man. Paul says he was found in human form. So there it is again. Christ, fully God, takes on human form. In every way that His divinity is clothed and robed in His humanity, sometimes He he let that out like it is transfiguration. But many times He did not gang. And He looked so human that not even His brothers believed in Him. We read in John 7, 5. He was so human that the religious leaders thought He was blaspheming when He claimed to be one with the Father. We're going to stone you for blasphemy, they said, because you being a mere man, make yourself God. John 10, 33. Again, He was so human that the people who watched Him grow up, they could not believe He was from heaven. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? John 6. How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? There's no way he came down from heaven. There's no way we watched him grow up. Just like every other normal kid, we know his parents. We know his brothers and sisters. He's just a man. Boy, was Isaiah right. 700 years prior, in chapter 53, when he writes about Jesus walking the earth as a man. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him. No beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. Why? Because God was so humble, He took on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. The infinite taking on the finite. Limiting Himself. The all-powerful, 
divine, taking on humanity, the Creator clothing Himself with creation. That's as humble as you can get. I love what one person said. Look at Him. Look at Him, this amazing Jesus. Look at Him. He's helping Joseph make a yoke in the carpenter's shop. And yet this is the one who could far more easily make a solar system. Look at Him. Dressed like a slave with a towel and basin and bathing the feet of His disciples. Because He took on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And as we watch His life, as we move on to this next part of obedience, as we watch His life, He obeyed the Father in every way. At all times. It's incredible. Never disobeyed Him. Even one time. And it's not like when times got hard and the cross is looming that He stopped. He did not stop. He continued to obey to the point where He would give up His life. This is why our Master is so great. He didn't serve for a time and then leave it all behind. He didn't choose another path. Do you realize that our eternity is secure because He did not choose another path? Do you realize that yes, the Father wanted Him to do this, but He willingly gave up His life? He said, nobody takes my life from me. That's what Jesus said. I lay it down. Our Lord Jesus did this willingly. He set His mind... He set His mind when He was above to take on the form of a servant, take on the form of a man, so He could serve and save us and obey His Father. End of verse 8. This is why He made Himself nothing and humbled Himself. This is why He took on the form of a servant and humbled Himself. This is why He became a baby in the manger and humbled Himself. This is why He became a man and humbled Himself. Paul says, being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. First reason you see here why He humbled Himself and took on this form of a servant In the form of a man, it's because his father wanted him to die. His father, our father, wanted him to die. Look at what Paul says again. He he humbled himself and became obedient. And the question is, to who? To who? He's still the God-man. He's still equal with God. He does not have to listen to anybody He could have preserved his life, but yet he did not. He became obedient willingly to his father, even to the point of death, because his father wanted him to die. That answers the question, who really did kill Jesus? Who really killed Jesus? Ultimately, it was the father. It was the father through the wicked hands of men, and what they meant for evil, God meant for good. But it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Isaiah 53. 700 years before this. And can you imagine the pair agreeing on this? My will is for you to get crushed. To bear their iniquity and their sins. My son, 
Jesus says, I will do it. I will do it. Even though he struggled the night before, you know this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Not as I will, but you will. That's obedience to his Father in the highest degree, gang. This is the hardest thing any human being has ever had to face. And not just to die any kind of death, but the most excruciating and humiliating way to ever die in the history of the world. Somebody said this is like a big exclamation point for Paul right now. Even death on a cross, he was willing to die the lowest imaginable way to die. They would not even crucify Roman criminals on a cross. And yet there hangs the Son of God, the Maker of heaven and earth, our Maker, the King of kings, the Creator and Sustainer of all things who took on human flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ. And the answers or the questions, why? Why? Why would God ever do Something like this, stoop so low, take on the form of a servant, the form of a human being, and die on a cross. The answer is, in obedience to His Father, to pay for our sins. Our sins. We needed a human being, a perfect one, who could be an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. And please don't tell me, anybody in here, say that I don't need this, because I'm not a sinner Yes, you are. You've all lied or lusted. You've all been greedy. You've all been selfish. You have not obeyed God 100% your entire life and loved Him 100% your entire life. That's what you need to get into heaven. If you could work your way there, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But He did. To bear all of our sins upon Himself. And so I want to read one of the most beautiful descriptions of this whole thing from the book called When God Weeps. This was written by Johnny Erickson Todd and her mentor, Stephen Estes. And I want you to listen to these words very, very carefully. As the man swings, the son recalls how he and the father first designed the medial nerve of the human forearm the sensations it would be capable of. The design proves flawless. The nerve performs exquisitely. Up you go! They lift the cross. God is on display and can scarcely breathe. But these pains are a mere warm-up to His other and growing dread. He begins to feel a foreign sensation somewhere during this day. An unearthly foul odor began to waft, not around his nose, but around his heart. He feels dirty. Human wickedness starts to crawl upon his spotless being. And the apple of the Father's eye turns brown with rot. His Father, he must face his Father like this. And from heaven, the Father now rouses Himself like a lion disturbed, shakes His mane, and roars against the shriveling remnant of a man hanging on a cross. Never 
has the Son seen the Father look at Him like this? Never felt even the least of His hot breath. But the roar shakes the unseen world and darkens the visible sky. The Son does not recognize these eyes. Son of man, why have you behaved so? You have cheated and lusted. You have stolen and gossiped. You have murdered and envied. You have hated and lied. You have cursed. You have robbed. You have overspent. You have overeaten. You have fornicated. You disobeyed. You embezzled and you have you blasphemed. Oh, the duties you have shirked. The children you've abandoned. Who has ever so ignored the poor? So played to coward. So belittled my name. Have you ever held your razor tongue? What a self-righteous, pitiful drunk. Mock your parents who gave you the boldness to rig elections, foment revolutions, worship demons. Does the list never end? Splitting families, buying politicians, watching pornography, accepting bribes. I hate these things. I loathe these things in you. Disgust for everything about you consumes me. Can you not feel my wrath? The Father watches as His heart's treasure, the mere image of Himself, sinks drowning into raw, liquid sin. Jehovah's stored rage against humankind from every century explodes in a single direction. Of course, the Son is innocent. He's blamelessness itself. The Father knows this, but the divine pair have an agreement, and the unthinkable must now take place. Jesus will be treated as if personally responsible for every sin we have ever committed, and He will pay it in full. Hallelujah. Praise God. Are you with me? We sang it already. Jesus took on every single one of those sins, every single sin that you have ever committed, past, present, future. He took it on Himself, and the Father poured out His full fury and wrath onto Him. And it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Sins are gone. Sins are forgiven. Wrath is gone. It turns to forgiveness. Full forgiveness and full acceptance from the Father. This is why He died on the cross. Amen? To become a curse for us so that we may become rich in Jesus. Praise Him. Praise Him. I pray you know this Jesus. If your conscience is disturbing you right now because of sin, run! Run! To Him! Trust Him that He did this for you! And commit to following Him. That's why He came at Christmas time. Amen? Father, we come before You. And we praise You. It was Your idea to send the Son for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. It was Your idea. Even though we rebelled, we loved darkness, we didn't love You, we wanted to be God, we want to live our own way, we commit cosmic treason against You all the time, as our Creator, and yet You and Your wonderful, glorious, tremendous mercy sent Your Son into the world. I'm so glad, Jesus, that You were willing to leave heaven's glory and to descend so low to earth and take on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. 
becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, to save and to serve us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you have done. And I pray that there's not a soul in this room that doesn't know you personally and trust in what you have done for us. I pray for them to embrace you. To trust that you have taken their sins away and the Father's wrath away and that you will give them your perfection so that they can go to heaven and be with you forever. I pray that they would turn to you and change their mind from this world and and set their mind on you. Would you do that work, I ask, in Jesus' name and for your glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're already placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we hope these messages strengthen your walk with Him. If you don't have a church, we'd encourage you to get involved in one or even come and check out Cedar Crest. But if you're listening and haven't submitted to Christ as Lord of your life, we hope after listening you're convicted to turn from your sin and place your trust in Him so that you may be saved. You can reach out to us at info at cedarcrest.church and we'd love to tell you about Him. God bless you and I pray that you live to make much of Christ.